nature and how we kind of misunderstand it on the planet yes and well it's, it's cool to just jump into the middle of the conversation here um this is josh dippold and david holtz um uh, chatting about life here and it's uh just for the record uh timekeeping it's um july 14th 2022 and we were just talking about nature and my take on a lot of the environmental degradation and destruction is maybe considered that it's an unconscious response from man being terrified of nature. And so they see that it's all out of control. They can't really control it. And uh, it's such a huge power that, un and if they're not conscious of that, uh, to kind of retaliate by destroying the environment, to try to want to conquer nature and control it, um, and since the level of consciousness is not there, perhaps they just destroy it because they don't know how to control it or work with it in harmony, right? Yeah. And it was also saying that um, usually, though, nature will allow us our little areas to so where it won't predominate. It has to give us a space to live within it as well. Mm -hmm. So we can have higher levels of control with nature when we're allotted the, the space that we have for it. You right. Know? Yeah, so the gardening and, and the landscaping, things like that. Right, T caretaking the woods and whatnot, but it's when we, not conscious of, um, that nature is like an uncontrollable force. That that man is, you know, as powerful as man is. That uh, nature, you know, it, it will be here long after if man will die out from this planet. Nature will, you know, more likely than not keep going. It seems that way, right? And it does come and go. So you know, you make a really interesting point about why we. Uh, why we humans cause such destruction. And I think uh, at the root of it, it I really uh, resonate with everything you were saying because I think that it is a natural progression for us to having, if we're scared of the nature, then we will have this reaction to try to control it or change it or what have you. Um, but I think that there's a root misunderstanding at the, at the base of all of it, and that's that we're separate. Yes, and, big time. And I think that this misunderstanding is, uh, it affects us in so many different ways in our civilization and the groups that we form and the purposes of what we do on a daily basis. And uh, this can this conversation, this separation can extrapolate about uh, to all of our issues in the world, I feel. But it, at the crux, I think that we're scared of nature because we don't see ourselves as one with it. And, and if the animal, if the fish in the water doesn't know that it and the water are together and realizes that it's in the water, then it's going to be scared of the water, even though it's breathing the water. Right. And it just to use a, an imagery, um, I feel that one of the greatest things that I've ever been given is my Boy Scout training and my outdoors training and, and my gardening training. Same. Because uh, first, it gave me, don't get me wrong, I'm still a little edgy in the middle of the woods, no matter whether it's day or night, sure. because Same. I'm a creature in another creature's environment. Um, and especially like swimming in deep water, I know there's bigger things than I am. And, you know, only a few of them eat humans that I probably aren't anywhere near me, but that, that fear 
in the back of the boogeyman, right, that can that can eat you, it's always going to affect me. However, it doesn't make me want to destroy the forest or destroy the river. It's just fear of a bigger animal. That's Absol- that's mm-hmm. prudent caution. Yes. I think that, uh, I think if we, you know, you mentioned the gardening and, and the beneficial things that we can interact with nature, but if we just take this idea that we're not separate from it, then it leads us back to the idea of being caretakers of the planet and the animals. And so then most people are going to be like, well, that's talking about the Garden of Eden. I feel that there's so many misconceptions propagated by books and people that have been uh, leaders over times. Um, I don't think that any of that, like trying to judge that is not my place. It takes the conversation in the wrong way. I do feel that that perhaps was the way of that time, and now we're coming back into a different way. But first and foremost, I think that the idea that we ever stopped being caretakers of the Garden of Eden is is a huge demarcation from our truth, because we never did. Somebody just told us that we were. And, and I feel that even if we do want to follow the apple and the talking snake and and the idea that we got cast out because we learned something um and in that mythology i feel that it's still um we that's not the end of the story and that one of the true things like people talk about being saved or finding christ and finding the path to enlightenment through buddhism and stuff I really think that the enlightenment that we have the privilege as humans in the 21st century to engage is that we are on earth as caretakers of not just the planet, but ourselves and our fellows, everybody. And it's not too late. It's not over and done. We can make the world that we think is beneficial, you know? Yes. And that self-responsibility too, right? Self-responsibility. It's a huge, it's, it's, um, it, it's really empowering, though. People think of it more of a, as a chore, but it's really, really empowering. It's kind of a chore. <laughs> it is a chore, right? Right? Yeah. But it has to be done, right? Because we can't take care of anything else if we can't take care of ourselves first. That's what I feel. And there's so many points to pick up there. Uh, one of the the ones that I wanted to mention was, you know, this thing about safety in the wilderness. Safety in the wilderness. You know, that served us well for a long time that we were on alerts in the wilderness because there were life-threatening creatures that could come out and, uh, and take our life, right? Um, but now, uh, actually, they'll still serve us well if we're in the wilderness and there's actually real predators there. Well, then, of course, that makes uh, sense to do. How, I guess the, the downside to that is what they say in psychology is now that that hasn't gone away, but now we're getting triggered. Our flight and flight is getting triggered by text messages and you know just Meetings. yeah me it's Schedules. all these different yeah so it, there's not really this immediate physical threat but our body is still being triggered like that right the other thing is uh, trauma i think that another key part is that because you know just being alive in a human body today we've all experienced some kind of trauma Absolutely. and so when that hasn't been healed or is recognized then it's this victim victimizer cycle where we feel have we've been victimized so then we turn around and then become the victimizer mm-hmm. and sometimes that can play out in our environment lack of consciousness just trashing things or not just being in a space where things are so overwhelming that that's the last thing you know the, the amount of consciousness even isn't even there for a lot of people because they're seeped in such a healing journey they don't even realize they're on 
mm-hmm. you know, so that that's like the last thing they would even be conscious of. Maybe, you know, it was just whatever happens in their environment, you know, they're going through so much pain to begin with. Right. You know, uh, so that's why self-healing and self-nurturing is like at the top. So when we can heal ourselves and take care of ourselves, well, then that just trickles down to everything and it everything does. around us. And that's right. We're not separate from nature either. And there's this Buddhist um, teaching thing, too, or at least modern Buddhist teachers anyway, um, that this is a borrowed body, right? Okay. And I, I look at it as kind of a gift, though, but it's basically these four elements of, you know, Earth, water, fire, and uh, wind. With you know, and then when this, when it's time to the body to pass on, well, then it goes back to the earth, and uh, you know, things will grow out of it, and it'll just join the, you know, the cycle of earth because it's that the body you know came from earth. We can't really own it because you know we can't. Once it's gone, it'll just go back to the earth. Right. I think so that we can't be separate from earth in that sense, at least with the physical body. Right. Know? And, and I, I really feel that that awareness of the elements, the, in, in us, in everything, the earth, air, water, and fire is, uh, a really good, simplistic, non-denominational, non-organizational concept yep. is just, uh, to realize that I am all these elements at once. Yes. Mostly water. Yeah, and, that's right. And, and then what, but I really have over the years, ascribed to the idea of five elements and not just because of that really cool movie <laughs> uh, the chinese system is there's a five element yeah. chinese system and, and it's the ether the ether is a word that is used to describe the unseen unflow like interconnecting everything and technically the ether like if you really study so many different people's perspective of ether um in a way, the ether can be the original element and an over-all-encompassing element that all the four others spin out of as they descend into three dimensions. At the same time, it doesn't stop existing as a partner to all four. And what's fascinating now is if you take the four and make it five, then that really factors into a lot of different sacred geometry thoughts that... Uh, that people have had over time because you have the pentagram and the five pointed star and then the inverted five, like the, just all the different shapes that five points can make beyond four. And what's interesting also is when you reach into construction and actually physically creating a building, if you make five points, it allows you to create five points on a base. It allows you to create an incredible variety of structures in the air because of the engineering potential of that base. Whereas four is very limited because it can get knocked either which way. And I mean, think of a tall building, right? If it has four corners, you're going to have to sink that really hard into the ground for it to go not to do this. If it has five corners, which they don't really build that way. Uh, but if you do see a building with five points on its base pentagon even even if it's just like a strut or something that comes down that building is far less likely to have uh, physical motion in the upper structure just because which which is wild that people have been implementing this kind of stuff in their building traditions for thousands of years and we don't really see it anymore unless unless our eyes are tuned to it yeah, and that reminds me of the Buckminster Fuller Dome, too, which is in the next level of, like... And he takes it to six. Yeah, right? Is that the what it is? It's six, and it's even more stable and less material that need, needed right. involved, less material, right? Yes. Yep, by using the hexagon, which... And this is... Talk about a fascinating deep dive that we're going to go on. The hexagon and the six points really starts to make up how... Like, if we... 
if we understand sacred geometry going from zero, nothing, to a single point, a line, a triangle, and then the triangle becomes a square and evolves through all the different things, Buckminster Fuller hit the six and realized the potential of the hexagon for construction. The hexagon is also the oxygen particle and like the oxygen molecule, which is made up of, uh, what, H2O, right? Yep. But what's interesting is when this is where the new subject of of the new study of water has taken humanity. Uh, so I forget fourth, the gentleman's... Fourth phase of water? Oh, Emoto. No, yeah. Emoto yeah. started, he did those wonderful studies that everybody, many people are familiar with, how water can take the emotions and, and stuff like that. He did a lot of other studies that aren't really published uh, a great deal, and they had to do with the different phases of water, which you were getting into. I'm not uh, quite fully informed on all that except for that it is and i know the water in my body can react to other things outside of myself but more importantly what they have started to what some scientists have realized and are starting to propagate like how this matters in the world is that when one water atom molecule is next to a, another water molecule h2o is uh like a three-pronged two hydrogen one oxygen right well when they get together, the way they connect, it becomes a hexagon because of the way they borrow each other's molecules. And so it's actually like H2O2 when you look at the way these molecules interact, except the division line blurs in the molecules because they form a net. So this is uh, one of the most intriguing studies I've seen. They... Uh, they talk, and I think this might be the fourth phase of water that you're mentioning, how it's more of a gel mm -hmm. kind of concept. Have you seen the uh, examples where they thread the water bridge between beakers? No. Oh, wait, it might have. Yeah, just go ahead and illustrate it, though. So, essentially, uh, we know that water sits in a beaker, and they did something with resonance to make it grow, like to make the water expand in volume a yeah. little bit, ever right. so slightly. Yes, yeah. I mean, we're talking millimeters of space, or even or microns, microns or of yeah, space, right? They measure it. But then, they had two flasks next to each other with a small space in between, okay. definite space, and they got the water to crawl up the wall, like to brim and then bridge over wow. to the other container and flow into it. How did they do that, though? I'm not sure. Huh. I'd have to go back and find the, Makes the sense, video. Makes sense, though. Yeah, very but cool. But I think it is that fourth phase of water. Okay. So what's interesting, in my opinion, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and all of this is theory, just like relativity and just everything Just like most else. of science, just, yeah. Just like most of science, it's all theory. Yes. Um, what's fascinating is that if we understand, if we take into the concept of ascension, mm -hmm. and the whole planetary system, the space-time sector, everything is moving into a higher vibrational, more photonic state of being because of the more photonic state of space that we're in, right? Um, we, all of us, all the nature, all the planet are evolving. Now, what is evolution? Darwin said it goes like this, and Darwin is just a scientist with a theory. There's many other people who have thoughts about what evolution is, how things may have not evolved from certain things, and I will maintain that if we allow for extraterrestrial off-world interaction in our past, it solves so many mysteries throughout everything throughout the megalithic structures, throughout the concepts of religion and why it goes this or that. What's cool is it doesn't erase the concept of God as the supreme creator. It just changes the idea of what God is and, and 
reveals that God may be somebody else that did something else. And what we consider natural evolution is actually manipulated, not in a bad way, it's just it has been manipulated from its normal course that who knows what would have happened if it wasn't manipulated because that's way outside of our pay grade. <laughs> yeah, there's there's just so many different systems and theories on this. It's just like you can go in a thousand directions from here on that. But I wanted to pick up on the the four elements thing, and this is um, this is something that we can experience in our body too, mm-hmm. because uh, the way that uh, it's is from my understanding, and I'm, I'm just kind of getting into these uh, teachings with meditation around the four elements. That okay, so Earth element has three things. It has solidity. So you just tune in to where you can feel solidity in your body. Then, um, um, let's see, roughness or smoothness. So if there's areas that you can sense that are just seem rough or smooth. And then the other one is, um, did I say hard? No, so like a hard and soft. Okay. So those... Uh, and like in your tissue. Yeah, any any kind of perception we can have of anything in our body, what, you know, whatever whatever it may be. So if you just kind of go through the body with the awareness, and so sensing those three things, that's kind of the, because the, earth elements, are, I guess, one of the more complicated ones, because of all the different compounds, just look at all the different, you know, scientific elements we have on the elemental table. Yeah, the whole period. Yeah, chart. you just look up, a, pick up a rock, and a lot of it has all these different constituents in it, right, made up of all these different chemicals and stuff. So that's the one of the more uh, complex ones. But then you get into water, and the basic properties of that are... Um, it's well, there one that's not talked about as much as dissolving, right? You can dissolve salt in water, but it's also a congealing, mm-hmm. uh, a cohesiveness. So if you're thinking about making bread, mm-hmm. you know things are cohesing together. You add water to flour, and it sticks it together. Yeah. Um, fire is really simple. It's the um, temperature. So if there's a cool area in the body, at least this is for me, or a hot area in the body. So the, the variation of, of temperature in the body. Um, so that one uh, seems a little bit more obvious to discern, especially when you hear people talk about, oh, it's cold in this room, or oh, it's too hot out here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's the fire element. Uh, just noticing that in the body. And the air is m- either movement, some people say, or pressure. Mm-hmm. Like if you're breathing in your lungs, especially on the in-breath when it, you feel pressure, but also support. So I, I'm not 100% clear on the support element of air, uh, it might be just kind of the nourishment that it brings in or anywhere that you just feel supported in the body. Like um, um, there's also space too, like the, yeah, the nose cavity, the space in there. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the Tibetan systems with the elements, they add in an extra one space. Like yeah. there can't be any objects without a space. So it's mm-hmm. not really, it's, but then the, some systems do consciousness as an element, not mm-hmm. like, the, but they call it the four great elements. So that seems to be, you know, every in the form world, world of form, it's always going to be some kind of four element, even if it's in the subtle matter layers, you know, in the inner worlds or whatnot. Yeah. So how do you, uh, we, you, you mentioned identifying these things in the body and how, like yes. if you, for instance, are experiencing, uh, in rate and in, powered fire element in your Mm -hmm. body and you become very hot Mm -hmm. like how would we work with that Mm -hmm. and do you know how we would work with that in order to perhaps self-regulate our temperature it's a really good question and i would just uh i'm just going to give guesses at this point because i haven't done an in-depth study on this Mm -hmm. i want to say first off there is a systematic 
meditation method on the four elements that's given um, in, in certain traditions. So I, before you kind of listen to me, I would suggest or whoever's listening to this to, to check those out first. And I will refer you to someone I've worked with before, Beth Upton, and she's been trained in the Pa'ak Saidao uh, tradition. And one of the things is he teaches a systematic method of meditating with the four elements and it involves a little bit of what I said but there's a certain order and a certain way and a certain signpost for going on to the next element and then if I'm getting this right then eventually combining all the elements at once and it's this onward leading progression to where it builds concentration but also will get to see this thing called ultimate materiality with mm. your own eyes mm. and uh, they talk about um, eventually being able to see the body as a transparent like ice block okay and then going into further the seeing these sub these particles called uh kalapas they call them okay and they say so the concentration can get to a point where you can discern these individual particles and then not only that you'll be able to discern the individual uh um features i guess within the kalapas so and then there's like at least uh i forget how many there are in each one but um uh from what I gather, there's actually, in all the Kalapas, there's the four elements themselves. So these subatomic particles that are rising and passing away so very quickly that most people will never be able, without intensive concentration practice, will never be even able to discern one arising and passing. But there's some with concentration level, supposedly, that is so... Um, profound and attuned that not only can they uh, discern the rising and passing, you know, so many of these every second, but then they can each individual one, they can discern the, the, the elemental makeup, you know, the earth, wind, fire, water within each Kalapa, but there's also other things within them. I, now I, I'm not a hundred percent on this, but I think some of the other ones are like, um, color, Mm -hmm. is one of them and uh there's there's several other ones yeah but and so so what they're saying is when there's also mentality too but if if you discern supposedly ultimate materiality you'll just see that everything is just grouping of kalapas from what i gather and there is no so let's this this and i could be totally wrong here but this this what we perceive as a human in front of us human body mm -hmm. is kind of not ultimate it's kind of like our perception is filling in the gaps or yeah. creating it right but if you could see the ultimate material it'd just be these particles sub these uh kalapas arising and passing like so many so long and then yeah it's just it's so profound so now to bring it back to your question actually i know you want to say you're you look like you really want to say something so i'll give you that and then come back to your question there the remind fire me of the question first fire how, how to yeah. manage the fire element. yeah okay okay I'm writing that Which, down. Well, so. short answer, but I want to give it to this perspective later is the short answer is if you want to do kind of more practical things for health, maybe the five element system would be better. Yeah. But I'll address it maybe for my guesswork after you talk here. So there's, I love that uh, you just mentioned all of these things because this is some very high science and high as in like people have been studying this ever since the dawn of civilization way back whenever that started yeah. people have been analyzing this in so many different ways and practicing human, yes. and practicing uh, humans are amazing and we can relate to this reality in so many different ways we can adapt we can grow we can change but we are magic in the fact that we have consciousness now what's fascinating about everything that you just said uh and i'm going to start to tie in a wide variety of theories that I have really brought to my own understanding because one of my, uh, one of the things that has been repeatedly arising in my life 
over time and throughout my whole lifetime is I cannot follow a master. I cannot follow a specific teaching. And I can try. And you shouldn't. But I can't line dance either. Like, if you, <laughs> yeah. you see me in a wedding, I'm over here off to the side, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, boogieing yeah. and doing my thing. I'll add, like, five extra steps in between the boot scoot and boogie. It, <laughs> yeah. It's annoying to my wife and all of my friends, but it's just me. I dance to my own drummer for real. Yes. Um, and just as many people appreciate it. Yeah. It, and... and I'm told that people appreciate it. It's frustrating to me because, like, Buddhism is a really beautiful thing. I cannot be confined by Absolutely any not. of these ways no. of thought because I see I be. see the way of thought. I understand. I practice the way of thought. And I'm like, but then it goes up here. So you were telling me about the, the idea of particulate matter called kalapas that... Mm-hmm the kalapas and atoms and molecules and things like that those are different but it's actually all part of the same thing so we're just using different reference terms to describe the same thing possibly that's a good question i don't know and then we get into other systems like this they talk about holographic or uh, holographic units and consciousness units and so how to cross these systems and cross-reference and see what's what so it (laughs) that actually works really well with what i'm about to say because if not if um, in the series, in the, in the concept of multidimensionality and not the idea of a multiverse, that's a different concept. Multidimensionality being the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, etc. dimensions all working at the same time, all in the same place, all present, collaborating to exist in 3D reality because this 3D is where it happens where the physicality can make itself manifest. Everything else is manifest in different ways in its own dimension that 3D exists in in 3D, but it's above and around and in 3D. So if we have these rising and falling kalapas coming in and out of existence, this actually supports the idea that we live in a holographic waveform. So if everything in existence period is... It comes into particular matter in three dimensions, but it's not necessarily here the whole time. And like we see, we see three D decay, like plants rising and dying, people rising and dying, things even like that. thoughts in the mind but constantly if, all if day long. What we yep. are, yeah, the mind, the thoughts are a great rising example. Rising and passing, yep. Rising and passing. So if we can, and we see it in some movies, but if we can perhaps perceive that every single instant. There is a rising and falling mm-hmm. of the colopic field that is made up of these particles that have all those elements in, involved. The idea that consciousness is kind of like the steady thing in that is quite fascinating because everything else changes. But the consciousness exists. It does. And I would say, though, that it changes too. Sure. Because, you know, if... Um, because I lose consciousness at night. Why can't I say do that you? I want to be conscious, conscious all the time? You know. But do you lose consciousness? Well, or does it, well your it changes. Body it changes. Go to sleep? Well, yeah, it goes to sleep, but I don't have control over the amount of. You know, it's like if I, if you know, and I've noticed states of consciousness will change throughout the day too. Mm-hmm. Also, if you take mm-hmm. a, a, an altering substance, it will change too, and For I can't sure. control what happens then, right? To the degree. So yes, yes, the consciousness is a thing. But I, I feel that it, too, rises and passes away, you know. Um, but it, it is fascinating. And uh, it's also, so what I was talking about with the Kalapas, this yeah. is an Abhidhamma. This is the advanced Buddhist psychology. And in some Buddhist circles, it's controversial, too. But And uh, I won't go into that now. But 
and, and so we get to the consciousness side of it, and that's the uh, mentality. So they talk about discerning ultimate materiality with your in your own experience. So this also has to be verified by yourself mm-hmm. here and now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and otherwise, it's just theory. Like to me, it's just theory right now because I'm not at that level of concentration to be able to discern that. Mm-hmm. But then you get into ultimate mentality, and that's where you get into all the different variations of consciousness, all the different mental factors. It's all laid out like this too. And the neuroscience is just now catching on to some of this stuff. And I talk people that are involved in neuroscience, I say, go check out the Abhidhamma. It's, it, this stuff has all been written and recorded and, you know, verified in a lot of people's experience like thousands and thousands of years ago. Um, so it, it is really fascinating. And But it, it all has to, uh, science really won't, unless they have an instrument to measure it, it's really, it's kind of off the table. Mm-hmm. But that's the great thing about quantum science. So there, that, that, that doesn't necessarily apply to quantum science and theoretical physics, right? So there's a lot of, again, their theories. So this... So I feel one of the biggest um, helps to science would be if they developed a concentration practice where they're able to see and know these using their own mind and experience as an instrument. Now, you can't, it won't be verified in the, in the same way as traditional science. However, you could, um, if you do controlled, you know, double blind studies with, you know, giving investigation for one scientist to look into this with their own abilities and then cross reference it double blindly with, you know, other experiencers and other experiments, then, you know, it seems to have some scientific validity through the scientific method. And you mentioned a really interesting thing here about that, that brings up a big conflict in our world. There is what people think is allowed, what people think is condoned, what people think is real. And then there's the reality that remote viewing, clairvoyance, and astral projection have been used by science and have been studied by science for a lot longer than you and I have been alive in this carnation. Especially in Russia, and the CIA has documented this, Project Stargate, all that stuff. It's it's public knowledge now. The, uh, the, The amount of remote viewing the amount of telepathic study the amount of psychic phenomenon that have been analyzed by the scientists and the military industrial oh, intelligence there you groups yeah, there okay? you it on the head. if we consider world war ii as a very high tech point in the general civilization which is fascinating how a certain group of the planet a certain group across the planet are still held at that kind of level of mentality of technical progression, even though we've now just launched into quantum everything beyond that. Uh, A lot of people still think that we only live with technology, like the TV's gotten better, the radio's gotten better, we have HD, we have better movies, we can do computer graphics, but it's not that. They have, like, I haven't studied a lot of quantum computing because it gets, quantum physics I can grasp, Quantum computing gets buck wild, because, and then time crystals, which is a new thing that I'm yep, very fascinated I've heard of those, by, yes. because uh, I have a different personal experience than the information that's told on the in the oh, publications yeah. and stuff yep. with the concept of time crystals. Mm-hmm. So it comes back down to what you said: we have to self-verify. Now, see it and know it for yourself. See yes. it and knowing, seeing it and knowing it for yourself may not ever be able to be proved because. Subjective. You, you yeah. have this experience, and and what's what I think I'm trying to do with my life, and I see many people in the concept of sovereignty, trying to know ourselves. We have to realize that it is not absolute. What that person says over there, or that group says over there, yeah. is not absolute. Now, 
there are agreements such as I sure. live in the United States of America. I was born here. Right. I'm a citizen. I have a contract with them because consensus of that. reality. Yeah. Right, consensus reality. Well, this is this is not a consent of mine. It is a factual oh, uh, yeah. commitment that I made because of where I showed up on the planet. Right. The other consent and the, what the things your parents did with the birth certificate, and that's sure. a whole nother area. But real quick, a brief distinction: the two truths in Buddhism. So there is an ultimate truth, but everything else we're talking about here is uh, other than ultimate truth. Right? It doesn't mean it's not true. Right. It's just there's an ultimate truth that, as far as I know, really can't be talked about. Or you can't just tell somebody the ultimate truth, right? It, it, and then get back to your Netflix shows, right? But, you know, so there's, uh, some people call it conventional truth, mm. right? So there's that, so it's that distinction. So we're just talking about other than ultimate truth here. Yes. I'm glad that you mentioned Very important. I'm both glad of them, that though. you mentioned this because mm -hmm. uh, I find that it's interesting that we're at 33 minutes into the conversation. <laughs> yes, of course. Well, because this, Master is, this, is touching, uh, this is touching on a super important concept that. That ultimate, uh, what did you call it? Ultimate, ultimate rea reality. Ultimate reality yeah. versus conventional reality. Or ultimate truth ultimate versus truth. conventional so truth, yeah. I and others who I've talked with uh, feel like we know the truth in a cosmic thing. And for me, uh, it's kind of like a chime, like a resonance. Mm -hmm. like and, and it's sometimes it's like a lie detector when someone's talking, but it's more like looking at the information set, understanding the way the world's working. And it's like, oh, that's fishy. Oh, that's that's right on. And, and it can be as simple as that. But I think what it comes down to is that sometimes we touch into that overall absolute cosmic truth, cosmic reality, and we understand it. Yeah, it can but be pointed to. We understand it yeah. more in our heart and, yes. and like the other glands, not our brain, not yes. our thinking thing. We understand it in our hands and our feet and our gut. And and it's it's like our gut instinct as in, in just a finite thing. Therefore, I think that this supports the idea that our own perspective, our own perception, and our own self-analysis in any given moment is more valid than any teaching that anyone could ever give you. Now, you can correlate teachings that people have imparted to us or whatever information set is given to us, but how many times have you sat in a room with a teacher up there and you listen to him and you're like, that doesn't really make Absolutely. sense because of these other things that I know. And, yep. and sometimes when you think about it, you're like, is this wrong? Oh, maybe I didn't understand or maybe this other information is yep. not the whole thing. Absolutely. And that's where we come back to like yep. the theory of stuff. Yep. Um, but I think it's, it's important because we've touched on this idea of truth and we live in a world right now where truth is very object, uh, like people manufacture the truth and people repeat the truth, their truth over and over and over again to get truth. other people truth, to though. get, no. to, to get <laughs> other people to do what they want them to do. Yes. Believe what they want. That's them to programming. Believe. That's not that's truth. Programming. Yes. That's called programming. So what's <laughs> fascinating is, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to steer this whole conversation, this metaphysical quantum conversation into community development. Yes. I want to pick up on truth though, before we do that. Yeah. Um, so this is why it's uh, foremost of my journey too. Yes. No, that's why I respect the historical Buddha so much because he says, you know, here's some stuff I learned, but you have to see and know this for yourself. You know, mm -hmm. uh, this, you can't just take my word for it. He encouraged people to uh, ask questions and you, in fact, you have to investigate reality for yourself. You can't just be handed to it and, and, and just be told about you it. You can, right? but no one tells you that yeah. that's that there's more. Well, right, right, right. Either way, you still have to see and know it for yourself, right? 
Uh, and so this is a big part of my journey too, and why it's at the top most. Because if if something's not true, well then it, it's it's an illusion, it's false, and it doesn't exist. So just think about all the other things that can be potentially valued in life. If it's if they're not even true to begin with, well then they're just an illusion and a waste of time. You know what I mean? And also if 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 I'm giving something out there that's not true, then I'm just a fool. You know, if I'm putting something out there and that's not true, well, then I'm a fool. And if I'm receiving something that's not true, then I'm being fooled. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. So truth is like, it's, it's like the foundation and thread of, I guess, all phenomena, it seems like, in reality. Because if it's not true, well, then it's an illusion. It's not real. It's false. False Falsehoods don't exist because they're falsehoods, right? They're illusions. They're like a... A phantom, a, you know, a wisp of smoke that's just, you know, there's nothing to it. It's not, it's not real. So it's not, it doesn't exist. <laughs> so what do you think about the idea that one person can have a truth and oh, another yeah. person can have a truth and both of those truths are valid? Yeah. So that's, this is, I think this is really interesting too, because, okay. So obviously we're not talking about ultimate reality at that point. That's obviously clear, right? Yeah. We can't really even talk about that to begin with. And this is a really common thing. People talk about their truth in their truth. I don't, um, I think that's maybe one understanding, but I'm trying to think of the, the, the way that it was put that I really like. but I would just say this as a counter kind of counter question is two plus two. Okay. If someone sees two plus two equals seven, another people, person says two plus two equals four another says two plus two equals five you know are they all valid i, don't I would think so. I, I would say only the two plus two equals four unless the base number system changed or something and see, i did my math wrong but see you're coming down yeah. to some now, concrete yes valid and see, that's impossibility yes. to change things like numbers yes and so that's that's an easy distinction and discernment of truth mm -hmm. now what i would say about that somebody's true i would say that's their perception of things okay the okay. conventional reality yeah well well or perspective reality. I would just say that if someone says, this is my truth, I would say, well, you know, instead of arguing one way or the other, I would say, well, that's your, that's how you're perceiving reality. It's not invalid. It might not necessarily be valid, but that's their, that's how they're perceiving mm -hmm. uh, reality. It goes to a, a really important point that we kind of talked about earlier that a lot of people don't live in reality. They live in a story about reality. Yeah. You a know, story about reality. reality because in stories are so fascinating and great because that's how we kind of interpret the world and how we share and relate information and things to each other. Cause it, it deeply resonates with the human experience stories do. But a lot of times, you know what the actual reality is closer to, okay, I have these sensations in my body. I see this visual phenomenon, maybe shape, color, but what uh, the language and our perception of what this is are, are, are things added on top. But mm -hmm. most people aren't even there. They're, 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 they're talking about stories in their minds about what has happened. And they're mistaking that for the actual experience that we, what, that we had or, you know, or that we haven't had. And so it's a beautiful way to relate to the world. But just know that it's not the same thing as actual lived experience right mm -hmm. and, and speaking of lived experience i do want to just yes. touch on uh touch on one thing for all the people listening i don't think that our conversation here uh rules out or excludes or negates anyone's uh too. anyone's perceived truth it, mm -hmm. it the most important about thing about all of this is 
we are sovereign beings and I am not condemning anyone for their belief system. Absolutely. It's, it's what you do with the belief yes. system. Your actions matter. Yes. And impacting other things and people negatively is not the way that it should be because we are all here for positive benefit. That's not, yes, natural selection is a thing. Yes, consumption and carnivorism and animals eating animals and destruction. This is all part of the world. But when it comes down to these truths, I really feel that uh, we have the opportunity to, in our own truths, accept other people for being their own sovereign entity and allowing them to have their truth. And, and I think this is where healthy relationships are something that matters, right? And Big time. That's, that, this goes into all kinds of other conversation jumping off points. Mm -hmm. But uh, especially at the moment that we're in, in our nation, we're sitting in St. Louis, Missouri, the United States of America. We live in a Republican-led state. We have all kinds of what are understood by many people to be infringements on our human rights going on today in, the, yes. in, in our state, in our city, in the world. We have all kinds of problems where there's a vast amount, a vast majority of people on the planet who are suffering physically from one thing or another, one yes. circumstance or another. And so when we talk about the truths that bring us to this point, um, I feel that while everyone has the opportunity to perceive their own reality and stuff, I think more people need to think for themselves. Absolutely. So yeah. many people, and, and again, I'm not judging anybody, mm -hmm. but many people are willing to accept what the leadership says, yes. whichever leadership that is, yep. as a rote fact. Without even questioning. Without even questioning it. And, or even talking to anybody about and it. And the truth of the matter is that we really need to think for ourselves. If it sounds fishy, it probably is, and you should do some research about it. It just seems such common sense to me at this point, but... And how can we support people to do do likewise? Going back to just, yes, uh, whether or not, you know, the truth, or if we want to keep saying this is my truth, that's that's okay, you know, or, or not okay. That's, you know, that's to draw that distinction. For me, it's really helpful non-harming. Uh, it all yeah. starts with non-harming. And I love this question, too, that one of my teachers puts is, how it, if everybody was doing the same thing I was doing, how would the world look? You know, and so it kind of puts our behavior into perspective. Like there's certain things that I do. If everybody was doing that, I wouldn't really want that world. So it's kind of a wake up call. But there's other things. It's like, you know, this would be very helpful if everybody would be doing this. So dignity, though, is the thing that just come up over and over again with the, the kind of the plight of humanity. And it's that's like the, the historical Buddha did not to keep name dropping that. But he only taught one thing, suffering in the end of suffering, you know, stress in the end of stress. And as far as it looks through all of history, recorded history, is that still seems to be the number one thing we're challenged by, mm. you know? And so all this metaphysical stuff we're talking about, it's, it's lovely. I love it. It's a great hobby, you know, way more healthy than tons of other hobbies. But this is the core thing facing humanity still. Mm -hmm. It still is. And it seems like it always has, you know, at least if from, from in recent memory, knowing stress and knowing the, the way out of stress and, and that it is possible yeah. And so this is one of the things I, is, is common human dignity. Everybody mm -hmm. is worthy of respect, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, yes. So that that's it's a it's a it's a huge thing. You know, that dignity deal. Mm -hmm. uh, 
the one thing I'm reminded about is uh, beyond the fact that everyone deserves dignity. Everyone deserves to show other people dignity. Um, and, and in this, it spreads the love. Especially to ourselves. Um, especially to ourselves. Yes. That's the one person we forget yes, to often absolutely. show that dignity and gentleness. Uh-huh. I'm a huge, I, I work on it every day. Uh, well, the feminine, especially because they're all they're they're trained to take care of everybody else at their at their own expense, basically. Yes. You know, yeah. So, and 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 the girls are trained like that. Yep. Many of us, uh, because of our loving mothers, are trained sure. like that yep. uh, these days. It's it's a fascinating. And it's a wonderful thing, thing but so, they suffer a lot of times even more so because of that overgiving. If we could all, if if that if people could bring in personal dignity, personal sovereignty. And uh, to use the uh, the psychotherapy term, boundaries, yep. um, and and just understand what healthy boundaries, neighborly yep. boundaries are, then I think uh, we would all live better, stress free lives. But it's such an interesting thing. Uh, you talk about the stress and the suffering, and how this time, this kind of seems to be a human condition that we can't get over. Well, well we can. It just we takes can. Some practice and training, right? Yes. And and also, it's a commitment. Oh, to, yeah. to living differently like to seeing Absolutely. the stress to yes. seeing the suffering and not putting blinders lifestyle. on lifestyle but yep. finding the way however there's so many ways to to find this sure. but however you find it finding the way to a positive resonance inside with yourself and that's going to echo out to other people it is and a lot of that is just a simple being honest with ourselves too yeah. like this sucks i don't like this that's being honest with ourselves you know and then, doesn't you know, necessarily mean we have to go around telling everybody it sucks and making their you know worse but just not lying to ourselves that's that's a huge step for a lot of people i mean it's just something as simple as that people aren't really willing to do that a right lot of times so this is mm-hmm. it, people aren't willing to do it because of many reasons yes. and one of the reasons that i think many people don't do this is because they think it's hard or they think they need learn they need education or something uh my colleagues and i feel that this is another base misconception Mm -hmm. that we as a whole civilization could really work on uh because mindfulness it's it's coming around in pop culture this whole mindfulness idea and and mindfulness is at the core of what the buddha talks about the historical buddha talks about and and in so many it's what christ talks about it's what shakespeare talks about it know thyself is one of the most important efforts that we can possibly make as beings whether we're human or animal or whatever and that's that's another you can never have as much mindfulness it is the balancing factor in everything we're just talking about the positivity thing and i totally the way the think world are now you need more positivity just to balance it out because you have the opposite extreme where people like that's all they do all day long is like how horrible this is and they're they're not worried about honesty they're they're going the the other opposite way complaining all the time how many people will bond by complaining with things you know mm-hmm. what i mean and so it's the other extreme so but mindfulness we have that we can help better discern okay are we being a little overly pollyannish or are we being a Debbie Downer all the time? It's, or is you know, there just, more to the yes, situation at hand? Absolutely. That that person who ran the red light in front of you, yeah. or, or who who you know edged you off the the bike path or whatever. I, I feel that this is if we can adopt a mindful, just a mindful outlook in our mind, and it's it's that momentary. It's the moment before judgment where you just say, "Hey, hold on, think about it just for a second. Don't don't escalate into thermonuclear warfare in your brain. Don't let your dander get up, like however you want to phrase it. Well, if you just say, 
take a breath and be a little mindful, then you might realize, hey, that person has their own issues that they were dealing with right then, and it's not about me. And that's a huge thing, too. Or I might be scared because I'm almost gotten in an accident. Could be so many things. And the great thing about mindfulness training and practice is that it gives us that space so where we can respond instead of automatically react from habit patterns, right? Yeah. Uh, it just even if it's just a little bitty microsecond that will drop by drop that fills up so where we have the space to see things with more wisdom and love and have more time for response instead of reaction right and not only uh, that but it's uh, mindfulness um, there's so many things to say about it. it one of the definitions of it is you know knowing what's happening in the moment as it happens without really any kind of um you know judgmentalism about it another thing though is just being able to uh mull not mull over but uh linger on a certain topic so just holding a topic in mind or an object you know a meditation object like the breath and just the ability to um come back again and again to it let it linger there because we have such these short attention spans of just going from topic to topic to topic and stuff and you know it's like it's it's fun and it, it you know it uh, gives energy but to have uh to to train a little bit more deeply to just say oh well i can just sit with this one thing and just keep going over it and seeing this just different multidimensional nature of it, considering certain things about it that we wouldn't normally consider. And these things will just naturally uh, arise as uh, kind of the debris will um, kind of uh, settle to the ground. Like you put stuff in water, Mm -hmm. the debris will eventually settle to the bottom. And so things will start clearing up. The level of consciousness will become greater. We'll be, have more awareness to see whatever we're seeing with uh, for more different perspectives the perceptual sphere will um come more online we'll be able to see more choices in life too uh instead of just uh getting stuck into this binary yes or no type thing well all these other possibilities will come up right and then it leads more on to discernment too where we'll we'll not will we be overwhelmed by all the choices we have we'll just kind of have a better idea of what will lead what choices lead more away from long-term stress and suffering for myself and others and what choices better lead towards less suffering especially towards the long term for myself and others it's right a, it's a beautiful thing it's a balancing factor yeah i really appreciate all of that wisdom and and Thanks. and especially the idea of sitting with something uh, whether it's a breath or a little totem, uh, you, you like a sculpture or something, yes. a piece of artwork. Appreciation. Um, sitting there and, and not just appreciating mm-hmm. it, but really getting into understanding yes. it. And and maybe that's research and maybe that's a little education. Uh, like, let's go back to the painting, thinking about the artist and the materials and, and the emotion. All of that is being mindful about that object. And you'll notice in those moments, you might even forget that you're in an art museum or wherever you are. You might even realize how relaxed you are after that. And this, I think, is the key. We can have those moments. They don't have to be fleeting. We can can manufacture them in our own daily lives. And the reason why I bring this up is because Josh and I have been talking this morning about... uh, all kinds of things such as Organite and Slim Spurling's Light Life uh, technology that involves tensor rings and harmonization techniques and, and objects. And what's fascinating is people, human beings, have been making stuff like this since the dawn of creation. And it has been 
roped into all kinds of uh, controversy. The powers that have evolved over time, the people and organizations that run whatever show you're involved in and I'm involved in, they perhaps want to teach us in a certain way. And what I found is that it's limiting. The, the idea that we have really fostered here is that mindfulness and personal sovereignty and self-awareness actually lead towards a healthier lifestyle for a person. And if we all engage in this in ways of non-judgmental, neighborly, mindful interaction, that is to back to an earlier idea that we were headed towards. That is how we build community. But it starts with the self. And it doesn't necessarily have to be me running out every day trying to connect with other people. I find that uh, I end up in the community that I end up in because I focus on myself and because I learn how to apply mindfulness. And because in doing that, I live my life a certain way and other people who do the same things end up in my life. And it's affinity, a fascinating affinity. Yep. Yeah. Affinity, right? Energetic and conscious affinity. Yep. And so this, you know, for all of you who are into manifestation and the law of attraction and stuff, this is a perfect example about how like resonance attracts like yep. resonance. And I mean, honestly, if I encounter negativity, I'll just leave it at that negativity. Uh, I know that by being a little mindful, it will pass or it not just pass through me, pass by me or whatever, or, but it will possibly even be transmuted into something better. For instance, if I'm smiling and I smile at someone on the street who's having a bad day, they could perhaps walk away from me with a smile. And if they, and if they don't and you get a scowl or something, well, then that's just an opportunity to see how are we taking that? What is our response to that? What kind of emotions that brings up in us? Well, then that's an opportunity to elevate and heal our responses to that. And it goes back to an earlier point where you're talking about not taking things personally. And it's such a huge game changer when I, I've learned that nothing is personal. Mm -hmm. It really is not. You know, when somebody does something, it's more about showing uh, an indication of where they're at on their journey. For sure. And going back now to community building about this relationship, especially with ourselves, everything in life is relationship. Even the relationships we have to ourselves, our thoughts, our emotions, our actions, how we view things in retrospect, how we learn things. We're all in relationship to these things, these, this multidimensional, multifaceted uh, internal relationships we have just on the internal with, with our own perception or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's, uh, and then we, then we, um, that will inform how we go into the outer world and, and interact with things on the external and then how those two mesh together. So that relational thing and having our own house in order first, uh, and then our, our relationship is such a huge area for growth. And then when we start getting into that and really seeing the depth and complexity and start to have some kind of mastery on that, then we can look at ideal communities or like what kind of community settings that we want to right. bid in. And I would say that it needs to be um, considered too because no matter what, we're in community already anyway, right? Yeah. Even if you live in a rural area, there still you still community. have some neighbors around, even if they're 100 miles away or something. Even if you're a hermit uh, on yes, a mountain in Nepal, right. yes. you are still in community. It, they are 1,000 miles that way. Yes, or just animals and nature. You yes. know, you're in, So there's a community Absolutely. that type of way. Look at what communities we're in now and look what are the ideal communities for ourselves first off 
then I guess for our closest relationships, and then also for where we want to be with both of those, and then start expanding. So once we kind of get a little handle on that, well, then how can we re keep applying that to greater and greater towards the macro scale, but also in a way that respects people's sovereignty, right? That if people still want to segregate, but not by that I mean, like if somebody does not want to have anything to do with that, how do we respect those rights too and deal with that, right? And how do we give everybody the kind of same opportunity to build the communities they want to build, right. you know, without infringing on anyone else? And then how do we get this underlying thread of connect, still maintain this thread of interconnectedness and unity consciousness within all of that? Is that still possible with people wanting to do their own things that might be on other ends of the polarity, you know, spectrum and balancing all this and working with this, you know, so all these are huge, big questions that I just run into more and more people, especially, you know, within the past, I don't know, even few months where people are really getting into looking at this community issue. And I won't go into specifics here, but David has been working on this for quite some time now. I, you know, you ask, you ask these questions, how do we do it? And, and I think, uh, on all those layers, I, levels I feel, of layers, yeah. I feel that there's there's an interesting thing that happens and, and there's an amount of trust that, uh, one has to have in life. And, and that is the whole connect and connection to the greater thing that like it is, it is going to be good, right? Like all these negative things I feel are the negative thoughts, the impending doom, all this stuff really is a result that in our brains is a result of stories that we've been told about possibilities that can happen or have happened or what happened. That's right. That's a fantasy. That's worry. That's a fantasy. Well, it, it, I think fantasy is a, a tough word because yes, <laughs> I see how you're using it. But yeah. when you say that's a fantasy and someone's talking about the Holocaust. Oh yeah. You can't do that. No, that's no, no, actually no. a fact. That, that's right. So right? yeah. But what I'm saying about worry, you know, it, it's, it's one thing to see possibilities and to plan for possibilities, yeah. but to think that it's already here happening, happening and that I you, need to right. be in a state of anxiety and fear and shutdown and retaliation of something that's not even happening. It's right. just a story in our head. Right. That's what I mean by it's a fantasy, right? Yeah. Now I'm not saying don't prepare, don't look into possibilities and don't do planning. I'm not saying that. Prudent planning yeah. for, yes. for possible outcomes yes. is important. And I'm a project yes. manager professionally, yes. so uh, risk management is a huge thing. Yes. I have had to learn through mindfulness about risk management. I am preparing for a potential solution that I don't want to happen. But when it happens, if it happens, we will be prepared yes. yeah. to make sure it goes well. Now, I have watched uh, professionals prepare to their excellent, most excellent effort. And they ended up dying of stress-related cancerous causes because they were so focused on the problem, yeah. not the awesome outcome. Like, the idea, the trick here is that we have to focus on the awesome outcome that we want and be aware that it could go differently. Yes. And have okay. safe catches yep. Yep. for if it goes differently, here's how we scoop it back and we send it towards the awesomeness. Now, what's crazy, it, this is a whole other subject matter, um, but you asked how we can do all these things. I think if we focus on ourselves and we allow everyone else to focus on ourselves in a non-judgmental way, and we talk about finding ourselves and doing what is naturally inclined to us, we will realize that there are those of us in the community that are naturally inclined to build the framework, to build the physicality, to establish the organizations. It's all out of love and it's all a knack because I like building things with my hands. 
This guy over here likes wiring things and running electricity through them. This person over here really loves organizing things for kids to play with. We all gravitate to the natural things that we love to do, and that's how social structure is built. That's how community is built. It's not forced. It's a choice and a decision that Voluntary, we make. Voluntary, yes. But I'll tell you, honestly, here now, 21st century, sitting in St. Louis in the United States of America on the planet Earth, how we do that, we manage to get the federal, federal government to change the way they spend money so that 60% of the GDP is focused on the national community, not building weapons to destroy other national communities because they are threats to us. So common sense to me. And, and, and like if you see where the money flows yeah. and how the money doesn't flow to a healthy community, no. the money flows to War. destruction. Yeah. And, and it's Especially appalling. in the States. Yeah, it's a war, this is a war pillar of the world. I And I do not, not consent knocking, to that. I'm not I knocking not anyone who came before me. I'm not knocking nope. anyone who is now and doing what they're doing. Same here. What I'm asking them to do is reevaluate their yep. situation and say, is this beneficial for me, my children, and my grandchildren seven generations down? Is it beneficial for my neighbor and their children and their children, seven, their grandchildren yep. seven generations out? And then... Think about all of the rest of the people who need to say this yep. about, is it beneficial for me and my neighbor and yep. my children? And then realize that, oh, while a guided, super cool mortar that can be fired and then <laughs> dropped like a drone on a tank somewhere over, played like a video game, like yep. that's some cool tech. Movies. But yep. we, we don't have to have that. In fact, that's not the right way to say it. That is not beneficial for anyone. Yeah, especially in the long term. Yeah. Now, I, I could see it if we if this country was being, you know, bombed repeatedly for months. Never has been. Yeah, exactly. You know? And, and people could say that that's because we fight a, a, a proactive war. Right. Or that but when you realize that the war hasn't stopped. Yeah. And then the war continues going because we keep it going. Yep. Because we're consenting to it. Coming back to the yep. idea of community, mm -hmm. this is not beneficial. The war? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, it, and I don't think that's too unreasonable at 60, 40, you know, and just, just slip it. Yeah. Right. Go ahead. Spend 40 on the, on the weapons. That's yeah. fine. Spend yeah. 40 I mean, on just armament. start there, you know, it's just like, or even just to even start with a thousand dollars more, you know, at this point, <laughs> you know, but I mean, it's, it, it, to me, it just seems so silly The the war. And so we can't end war with war. You know, you can, hatred can never end by hatred. Ill will can never overtake ill will. Only by non-ill will will ill will be overcome. And this is an ancient eternal law. Right. You know, and it just it just makes so much sense to me. But uh, and it comes down to but on our level, we have to look like I can only really say that if I take responsibility for my own commitment to non-harming. Yeah. You know, exactly. and this doesn't it go. It starts with yourself. It does. And it, this doesn't negate the Second Amendment kind of thing, because no, not at all. Uh, even though I don't have a gun, uh, I am very uh, pro rights for Second Amendment because people that are legitimate, they have families to protect. 
if somebody aggresses force on you and they threaten your life and the life of your loved ones, well, then it just seems ridiculous to, for me to say, well, you should just, you know, just die because you shouldn't harm anybody. Well, no, at that point, it's not harming. It's, it's you're protecting yourself. You're not aggressing on anyone. You're, you're defending your life and your loved ones. Right. And so eventually we'll get to the point where we won't need any of that at all. The level of consciousness will be so fact where that will just be like a thing of the past. But until that happens, yes, the non-aggression principle, I don't think I've met anybody that disagrees with, I mean, even though they might not choose to do any kind of violence at all and just, you know, be like a martyr or something, they still will allow people to protect their lives once they're aggressed upon, but no one has the right to aggress upon another, initiate aggression on another. Right. You know, so that just, so I'm not saying I'm anti, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, protecting yourself, not at all. It's just, uh, where has all this, um, bombing and, uh, harming and, Basically, they, there's an axiom that says all wars are banker wars, right? Well, so people they certainly are, have been in the, the, the last couple of the, centuries. The bankers are funding both sides for profit and, and playing people's lives like pawns. And I'm not disrespecting veterans either because a lot of them getting into things, they have no idea what they're getting into, right. you know? I think that actually, so. uh, I think one of the most unfortunate things mm-hmm. is we have, this is my personal perspective, I, I very much value all the service people that work in our Same. military and all of the peripheral groups that serve the military. And we both have veterans and that. backgrounds yeah. in our families, yes. Yeah, so like I'm not knocking anyone for their, for, for their choices. Uh, I, I really appreciate all of the brave, honorable men and women that have gone before and served and are serving right now. I actually think that in the current in the current day and age, all of those people are being extremely manipulated and yes. used. Yeah. And and there was a uh, I, I almost went to the military and joined the navy one time. Um, that's a different story for a different day. But amongst the group, they I noticed it was right after nine eleven uh, happened, and uh, there was a ton of army recruits. And I was in the Navy with just a handful of other people uh, going through that day. And there was one candidate for the Air Force and a handful of people for the Marines, too. And you could kind of tell the people's dispositions based upon which branch they were headed into. But all of us who were not part of the Army, uh, we were kind of over on this side of the room because the Army folks were just very rah-rah and we're going to go get them. And I heard an older uh gentleman coming back uh, older than I was and he was re-enlisting uh, because of the current threat situation and he jokingly said look at all that cannon fodder over there and I said what do you mean and he said well, where do you think those guys are going to be front lines receiving rockets in the face wow and the reality of that just it, it dawned on me that we have not evolved that far from yeah. World War One, where they were fighting in trenches with yeah. mustard gas and all those horrific stories that we hear. Yeah. And, and like, yes, there have to be people on the front line shooting at each other. Yes, there have to be those people. And, and in warfare, there doesn't have to be, you know, well, and ultimately, in, in warfare, yeah, 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 right. right. <laughs> and, and so it just made me super sad. I actually didn't join the military, thank God, because yes. I have bad knees and the doctor wouldn't let me in. Uh, when I got that out, I also had talked to several other people that day and they told me point blank that the recruitment officer was lying to me about where I was going to be able to go because of the scores that I had. They knew these experienced people knew that I would be put into the intelligence service and that would not be a choice. I would have no free choice after I signed the line. Oh yeah. 
I did not shine that day. And it weighs heavily on me because uh, and it, it no longer weighs. But it, mm-hmm. if I go back to that moment, I remember the weight mm-hmm. and uh, the emotional decision that oh, yeah. I had to make in the middle of the space that wow. I was about to sign. And I turned down my country. I turned down the guys who were rooting for me that day. I turned down. I, I had all of these things and I managed yeah. to pull myself out of the building and walk away. Wow. And and I look back on it and I realize that that moment, the, the guy that I was sitting next to who was re-enlisting, who gave me the insight about the reality of what yes. was about to happen to a person like myself yeah. going into the Navy, because I wanted to drive a battleship. I wanted to yeah, learn how to drive that, a yep. big boat, right? But he said that that would not, like, they might let me do that for a short period of time and then it would be very much intelligence. Yeah. And uh, I just realized that if I sign away my free will, to an organization, any organization, then I, I really can't control anything from there on out. And that, no. that was an interesting, talking about how the river of life takes us, that no. was an interesting bend in the river that shot me down a side thing. And now here I am many years later uh, building the new civilization from the grassroots and the ground up with everybody else who's like-minded and mindfully trying to not not save our civilization because there's nothing to save. We're doing fine. Reorient, kind of fix some of the flows energetically and, and, and create new positive solutions for everybody. And I think what's beautiful about it is that if we all come together in community, that's a mutual respect. We can all really figure out that you can think this and I can think this and we don't have to conflict. Yes. It is. And that's how we yeah, bring people to the table uh, several things to pick up on here you know it's like you, you said you walked out on them I would think you you stood up for your country in some ways you know what I mean maybe I stood it, up for myself for yeah sure. and I think that you know the the way you could have helped society and humanity it was better served this way yeah. so many other things to say the patriot programming it is intense I have been subject to this it's something I've not really been public about and I don't think the time is now for that Right. But I would say the Patriot programming runs very deep, as you kind of illustrated there as well. Um, now, the, the, the other thing is that, uh, yeah, these black projects. I mean, who knows? You might have gotten a special access project in this intelligence stuff. And I will add that, you know, it might be my perspective might be different on this. If I lived or was born in a country where there wasn't all this hostility and war programming and, you know, Patriot programming and beating the war drums, I might have a wholly different picture. I might have a huge warrior mentality somewhere else because it's, you know, being a little bit uh, not, I guess, oppositional or at least balancing to the prevalent thing that's going on that I don't see as wholesome, skillful, or wise. In this country, it's, it's, it's like this. there's this huge war programming, uh, but it's weird because it's not really everyday life around here. You don't see it, but it's there going foreign, right? Because all the wars are in, in the foreign. So that the programming is always, there's an underlying current of this this war programming going on all the time, but it's not really expressed uh, uh, overtly in everyday society so much. Yes, because both of us are doing kind of a, uh, in-service work, I would say now. Yeah. And we haven't joined the military, although I had recruiters after me too, or, you know, calling me a lot too. I still be very mindful of the covert things that go on with military, even though I say I'm not consenting to it or have anything to do with it, right? Being aware that, well, 
who might use our perceptions and what we say against us, right, for their purposes. So how might they be using what we're saying and doing actually to kind of turn against us or our level of awareness isn't to the point where doing what we say we were doing or if there's a better route that we're being prohibited from seeing and engaging in because of we're still being subjected to kind of this covert military operations you know it sounds all it is i mean when you talk about spy crap you know spy games covert military operations and unacknowledged special access project basically your imagination is the only limit to the types of tricks they do and although i could be wrong the thing is we don't know because it's all classified right and a lot of the times a lot of these conspiracy theories get going is because there's a whole complex where there's only a certain amount of people that are read in and the people that are read in they're under secrecy agreements so there's certain things they can't talk about they can't confirm or deny and so this whole culture has built up around this people just wanting to know certain people are ready for certain things but they're not allowed to do it and so for an outlet for that sometimes they start conjecturing or coming up with maybe pushing things too far but then other people will see it as like okay well then you get this label conspiracy theory and then all investigation shuts down right there right they won't look into it for themselves because there's a social stigma saying oh this guy's a conspiracy theorist they're using both of those dynamics against the population too absolutely and plus all the other things we don't know about because it's classified and i think what's (laughs) fascinating to just talk about the things that we don't understand but the ways that the the place that we live in right now is created, manufactured to support their way of being. And I say their, the military industrial establishment way of being. We have all these action packed movies, and I'm a huge action fan. I have realized, though, that the amount of violence yes. in our lives, daily lives, just on our media entertainment yeah. is horrible. It is horrible. I was trying to watch something, just trying to find something that was nonviolent the other day. And literally I had to like find some dramas, which were about adultery and other violence of other types, emotional like, violence, emotional yeah. violence. Right. But like, I'm a huge superhero fan. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of all kinds of fun science fiction things like that yeah. star wars is a i love the storylines but stuff. yeah but i realized the other day as i was watching the mandalorian that i really wish we could come up with a storyline yeah. where people weren't shooting each same other same way or any kind of violence any you, kind of violence you can still make there's got to be a way to make it entertainment yeah, yeah and that's the thing we entertain it yeah entertainment in this this is a whole study like a graduate level yeah study about like neuroscience and how our brain works right but it's so fascinating because if now what has happened Mm -hmm. is like you you were talking about the black budgets and things like yeah and and if y'all don't know listeners you should research the idea of black operations black budgets Mm -hmm. i forget the exact numbers and i forget how many years ago it was but they were forced congress was forced to admit that there's a whole section of the budget they can't see because it's black operations and their forecasting of that black ops budget. And and it's not just military, it's black government budget Mm -hmm. that the general legislature cannot see it off the, off the budget. Mm -hmm. They estimated it to be at least one third of the whole American budget on an annual basis. Well, it was Rumsfeld that said the day before nine 11, right? He, he announced all this unaccounted for money. money. He lost it. He didn't know where it went. 
And right, he announced happened. he announced it the day before, right? Yeah. yeah. And then nine eleven. Yeah. So there's all kinds of weird things like that. Mm-hmm. And and this talks talking about those weird things. There's these black budgets. There's these obscured situations that we we Americans have no right except it's our money. All of yeah. that money is our money that we paid in in our taxes. Don't be fooled. That's yeah. exactly where it came from. It's your money too. If you live here in the United States, let me illustrate a point real quick. Can you hold your well, I just yeah. want to wrap sure. it up. So my point is all these black budgets, yes. there are movies out there, everything from mission oh, impossible yeah. mm-hmm. to all these other cool, like the, the fast and the furious stuff. There are so many instances of technology or situations or occurrences in the world that are mimicked or talked about in those fanciful stories yes. that we see on the big screen. And I feel that it's been done. Sure, the entertainment industry went off on and did its own thing. But now the government, ever since the movie Black Hawk Down came out, which was mm-hmm. the first time that declassified information was declassified yep. within a generation of it happening. Yep. Ever since that movie happened, they have been able to say, oh, you saw that in a movie. You're, well, you're making things up in your head. But the, the counter is that it's, it's, it's mainstream now that they have consultants from the military on, on the, the projects, yeah, yeah, okay? Yeah. So wouldn't it just make it's common sense that they would be trying to promote people to join the military? Yeah. You know, I mean, How it's cool just, is this? Yeah, it's, it's common sense, yeah, you look know? Look at all the neat And guns. especially the CIA, right? So, and you know, the dirty tricks there. Like, it's called intelligence, but that their job is to lie. They lie for a living. Intelligence and counterintelligence, I think, is the truth tellers, right? Or whatever more is a trash truck here, which thank goodness for that, because could you imagine if our trash wasn't picked up? Oh, my God. I have heard <laughs> stories. Uh-huh. My, uh, my brother lives in Katy, Te- or used to live in Katy, mm-hmm. Texas. And when Hurricane Katrina oh, came boy. through, trash service in his community was was postponed for like three weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, in in Houston proper, it was a lot longer. And talk about, like, in, in the coronavirus situation in the major cities like New York, they were, and even in St. Louis, there were issues where they couldn't pick up the trash. Oh, wow. And even just two weeks of yeah. trash not being yep. picked up in a major city causes extreme sanitation problems. Mm-hmm. Like, like, black plague level yeah. issues where if because of the homeless population and its size, unfortunately, you have all kinds of people that are exposed to trash and and nasty, bacteria-filled environmental situations. And so that's that's on a good day with yeah. all the dumpsters being emptied weekly. You yes, know? <laughs> and it's not to say the, uh, the effect on consciousness, I feel yeah. it has too, just seeing litter and how it shows how unconscious that, you know, folks would even litter to begin with. Uh, you know, and then also that, you know, folks wouldn't come by and help clean it up too. And it's just kind of the state of being. And a lot of these products that are littered, they will attract kind of this death decay energy, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's being drawn to it until it's completely broken down so where it can go back to the earth and things can grow again from it. Yes. You know? So, I mean, that might take hundreds of years yeah. why it's, it's attracting this decay uh, erosion energy. So... Well, let, why don't you let people know, the, again, how they can, can get in touch with you? Okay. Uh, so my website is alternativelifeguide.com. Through that, you can also see several different community development activities uh, and things that we have going on here in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, on a, on a final note, I like how you mentioned the trash. Mm-hmm. Being mindful in yourself really promotes you to take 
control of yourself, control of your being in your environment, in your city, in your community. And, and it helps you kind of gain a grasp on how to be that better person. What are your dreams? That's important. What are your dreams for you and your community? That's important too. But it really, it starts by picking up the trash. It does. Responsibility. Being responsible. Yes. And helping your neighbor throw their trash away. And if you see a bunch of stuff laying around a dumpster, man, go buy a pair of gloves. Yep. Spend half an hour picking that stuff up around the dumpster. I'm serious. I've done it in in the community downtown where we're building our office. And it's not only is it really gratifying at the end mm-hmm. of the day, at the end of the experience, especially if you participate with other people while doing it. Yes. Um, but most importantly, the folks in their houses who see you doing that, who don't yes. have the wherewithal themselves to put the gloves on and yes. get out there and clean it, you just help them get towards a space that they can put gloves on and clean their own space up. Just by helping, just by cleaning up the trash can in the alley. Absolutely. So. It- and not out of obligation, but this is something that's actually empowering. Right. It's empowering us, the people who do it, the community. You know, it just says you you care, you, care. you know. And just notice how you feel uh, before, during, and then after. Yeah. And uh, eventually, uh, if just think about it. If you go into uh, like a, a place that just is trash everywhere, everything's run down, how you feel, and then how you feel in a neighborhood that's like, kind of beautified you know it's a everybody can notice how they feel so if you bring some of the beautification to a place that doesn't have it well then obviously you know you're, you're going to feel the benefits right it's a surface level kind of thing in a way but it does have a domino effect like you're saying it you know does. it does make a change like the broken window theory go beyond that like what can help implement this to more lasting things to help boost the level of consciousness to help people uh, take in that empowerment back for themselves and make more even more lasting change. But even just that surface level thing can have a big impact. And talking about people that want to help the environment, that is one of the most immediate practical ways to help our environment. I do want to, I, I do want to add one thing. Sure. This is, this is a last note on this idea of community development, cleaning up yourself in your space. Regardless of what you label it as, negative energies, demons, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's an important thing to understand for all of us humans. Mm -hmm. We are sovereign beings. We can tell other things how to treat us. We can say, you have no power over me, and they don't. It's as simple as that. So, just for instance, if you are cleaning up trash and you get it all spick and span, and then you start to feel negative inside, there may have been something in that trash that you can't see that latched onto you and is interested in you for some reason, mostly because you're there. You can say, get off of me. You have no power over me. And if that doesn't work alone, do a little dance, get happy. And if that doesn't work, go meditate and spend some time, go into a church, go someplace, get get some garlic, you know, go go look at a cross. Use these things that are propagated in mythology to help yourself rid yourself of any bad things that are hanging on. Because that, I don't really know how to describe it in a, uh, a, a way more than creepy crawlies or etheric yep. demons. Like the telluric field yep. is something that you can read about. But the most important thing is you are a sovereign being. You have power over yourself. And right. you can declare that sovereignty to take back your power. 
beautifully said and that's the that's our clearing work too and yeah it, and it goes to speak of energetic hygiene yeah and so we'll see if anything like that does happen you'll have immediately know how important it is to not only clean our house and clean ourselves but then to do energetic hygiene too and like david said there's so many different ways to do that and one of the good ways is to check out his site too Alternative Life Guide. He sells um, devices and, and not artwork not to do the site, but reach not out the site. to me. Yes, okay. You can, you can okay. connect to me on the site. On through the site. Thank and, you. Good uh, distinction. If you are interested in anything uh, to on, on the website, um, I'm very excited to talk about it. And my practice is all growing, and I will have things for sale. So just uh, check in and, and connect on the website. Let me have your email, and I will keep you posted. Cool. All right, and then I'll probably link to some of our past conversations on this too. All right, thanks for listening, guys. Peace.